Hello, hello, welcome to the Alan Parry podcast. It's me, Al, just checking in on you. Hope you've been okay. Hope you've had a good week and all that sort of stuff. And um, my week hasn't been very good, I have to say, in terms of the living of it. I haven't really enjoyed myself this week. It's been horrible. Um, I've had two days without food. I've had a colonoscopy. Um, I've had a third day where I was allowed food, but then when they tell me what I was allowed... They said, you can't have vegetables, you can't have fruit, and you can't have beans and pulses. Well, that is just everything I eat. So even on that day where I was allowed food, I wasn't really. So I'm not going to give you a weight update because I think my body's all over the place. It's been hydrated, dehydrated, flushed out. Um, And I think I'm in such a state of flux that if I got on the scales, I wouldn't believe it anyway. But the good thing, I suppose, is that the results of all that medical stuff I was getting done are all okay, so um, so that's good, but it's just been a horrible week in the living of it, uh, I've not enjoyed it at all, so I hope your week's been better than mine, um, yeah, I hope it's been a lot better than mine, I've been asking people what I should be talking about today, I've got some, uh, <laughs> I've got some strange suggestions, I'm not going to actually follow any of them, but I might come back to some of them, um, one of them was... Um, the limits of Keynesian economics, um, but I could do with a little bit of a starting off point before going down that route. I'm, I'm probably not qualified enough to talk about that, really. Um, I had quite a lot of people um, wanting me to talk about cheese, just just the surreal nature of uh, my Facebook followers. <laughs> they wanted me to talk about cheese. Now, they know full well I don't even eat cheese. And I'm 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 desperate not to learn how to eat cheese as well because, you know, I'm I'm trying to lose weight and there's lots of things I'm already denying myself beginning with chew like chips and chocolate, and uh, who needs more? Who needs more things that are, are going to be fat? Why why learn to like cheese if you don't like cheese like I don't? Stay with not liking it. Don't encourage yourself to learn to love cheese when it's going to be another thing that you then have to sacrifice. You know, learn to love celery. <laughs> learn to love celery. That's my advice. Um, learn to love something that you can just eat tons and tons of. Don't be learning to 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 like things that you're then not allowed. What kind of self-flagellation is this? I don't know. So, yeah, I'm not going to talk about cheese. Well, I just have. I've just talked about cheese. Tick. <laughs> okay. So there is something I did want to talk about myself, though. So I'm not going to do the whole, um, you know, what's my week been and and all that sort of stuff. Because the thing that's come up for me, excuse me, very strongly this week has been the conversation, the public conversation that's 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 been had in the past week. And I think my take on it is really different from most people's. And so I'm going to share it and see what you think. Um, and basically what I, what I want to talk about today is why I think it's really unhelpful for progressives to keep talking about privilege. It's the new watchword, and it wasn't something that I recall from when I was growing up and learning about politics. But it's the, it's the new thing that everyone has to talk about. We have to be sensitive to privilege and... Everybody has to own their own privilege and all this sort of stuff. And I want to share why I think it's really, really unhelpful and that it's not a useful narrative to have and it gets away. 
that gets in the way of all the all the stuff that we need to be talking about instead. So that's what that's what today's pod is going to be about. Um, so if that doesn't interest you at all, then feel free to switch off because I'm not really going to be talking much about anything else. So why do I think that privilege is the wrong narrative? Is that when I say wrong, I don't mean morally wrong. I just mean unhelpful. Why is privilege an unhelpful story to be telling each other at this particular time? And it was triggered really by someone who typically I find a really helpful voice in this space, Brené Brown. She did something on um, just after Charlottesville um, where she did like a Facebook Live and she started talking about, about privilege and... Well, she said something really quite interesting at first, actually. She talked about when she was kind of um, overcoming her personal issues herself, she realised that she had to own her story to move on. And she said that collectively we had to own our story too. And I'm, I'm with that completely. But she was following this, this kind of um, pattern that I've noticed in society where she was talking about privilege and... The, the thing that came up for me is that when she was talking about privilege, she went on to define it in a way that I found troubling. And I, I think that's what then started alerting me to, to what it is I feel uncomfortable about. Because um, the, way she, the way she defined privilege, this is her definition. And um, she said, privilege is what you have that hasn't been earned so privilege is what you have that hasn't been earned. And I thought, well, that's an interesting definition. And that final word, end, is a very, um, that's a very interesting word to end on. That's the kind of pivotal word. If you've got something and it's been earned, then it's not privilege. But if you've got something, and that, that got doesn't necessarily mean a material thing. It might mean... You know the the ability to drive through the street without being pulled over by the by the police or whatever. But if you've got something that's not been earned, then that's a privilege. And that was the definition that Brené gave. And I thought I'm finding that problematic. I'm finding that problematic. The word "earned." A couple of things is why I felt problematic. Is first of all, it didn't make any great sense to me. Um. I wondered who gets to define what earned means. So if I've got something, how do I know whether I've earned that or whether I haven't? So if I'm uh, if I'm Rupert Murdoch, for instance, have I earned that or have I not? If I'm um, uh, if I'm someone who's like a a billionaire but started with rags, have I earned that or have I not? How do we decide this? How do we decide, for instance, whether somebody who's on, I don't know, a a thousand pounds a month and somebody who's on a thousand pounds a week, how do we decide whether that person who's on a thousand pounds a week rather than a month is privileged? How do we decide, according to Brené's definition, whether they've earned that difference in pay? Because they're getting... They're getting three weeks extra pay a month. How do we know whether they've earned that? And I can't really see any useful way of defining that. 
any objective way of defining that. It also means, of course, that if you've got two mates who went to school together and one of them leaves and can't find a job and so signs on at the age of 16 onto benefits, but her friend, for instance, goes out and gets an okay job, you know, both from the same background, both went to the same school, both friends, but one has to sign on because there's no work that they can find, but the other one is fortunate enough to find a job and is now working. And the job pays pretty okay, you know, financially quite comfortable. Is the benefit claimant really the privileged one? Even though they've not earned anything, whatever earned means, because from the age of 16, they've never signed, they've never paid into anything themselves. And now they're signing on. Now, I don't view that as privilege. And the funny thing about this definition that Brené gave is that what she was talking about was, it was so crucial that, that if you had something, it had to be earned. As long as you've earned it, it's not privilege by that definition. And the interesting thing psychologically that I noticed about Brené's definition is that she preceded it by before she said it she she said a number of times how she's worked since she was 14 she's never not had a job and the kind of uh, psychological subtitle that I was picking up from Brené there and I may be correct and I may not be but when I heard her saying you know, I've worked since I was 14, I've never not had a job, and then follow the definition of privilege up with it being based on whether what you had is earned or not. I found that kind of interesting. I found the psychological subtitle to be saying, P.S. I'm doing well in the economy, but don't regard that as a privilege you hear. Don't regard that as a privilege because I've worked since I was 14. So the things that she was talking about as privileges was something other than how well she is doing in the economy. I don't know how well she's doing in the economy, but I presume someone who's a semi-public figure like Brene is doing pretty well in the economy. And I just thought it was a, an interesting um, kind of liberal, ideological um, characteristic, a characterising of, of something that essentially protects somebody's and that's fine, you know, I have no problem with, um, you know, someone's going to have a need for protection. But I thought it was it was interesting how ideology has developed there. That the definition essentially protects how financially comfortable she is in that moment. Because it's all about what is earned. And it was preceded a number of times by, I've worked since I was 14. I've never not had a job. And it just... It just underlined to me how perilous and problematic the definition of privilege actually is. Because when someone is kind of erudite and, and I think a really useful space, a useful voice in this space like Brené Brown comes up with a definition. And of course, she's a data analyst as well. Um, when she comes up with a definition like that, and you can't trust it, or I can't trust it anyway. And there seems to be, like, there's a lot of holes in this definition, and I don't fully understand what it means. 
then um, it kind of underlined to me how problematic this whole thing is because we can't even define it. We can't even define what our privilege is. You know, the funny thing is, go through this checklist. Have you got a bed? Have you got a place to store food? Have you got any sort of roof over your head? Have you got a wardrobe? If you can say yes to those things, you are the royalty of the world. You are richer than 75% of the population, even if you have nothing else but those four things. A roof over your head of any description, a place to sleep, a place to store your clothes, and a place to store your food. You are part of the world's royalty. You are privileged. And so I'm finding this whole thing really problematic. You see, the thing with Brené's definition, what she referred to as the things that you have that haven't been earned are privileges. And she was talking about things like, you know, one of the examples she gave was, you know, um, being pulled over by the police that as a as a white woman in a nice car, she, she knows that if she's getting pulled over the, by the police, it's because she's done something wrong, not because she's being targeted for attack. And I get that. And I get why she's concerned about the fact that black people in America and here in the UK and in other societies which have um, a, a racial history, that... I get that, that, that she finds this problematic, as I do, that that's not the case for black people who drive around in their cars, that it's actually really, really dangerous. And I can put myself in that situation where, imagine if I was a black person driving and the police pulled me over. I would shit myself. I would shit myself. It would be terrifying. I wouldn't think, oh no, what have I done? I'd think, what's coming here? What kind of frame-up's about to happen? I would be terrified. So I get that. But these things that Brené calls privileges, when I was being politically socialised, if you like, and learning about political philosophy and all that sort of stuff, we didn't call them privileges, these things that she was giving us as examples. We call them rights. Now, if someone's going to take my privileges away, it's almost like, you know, that lacks power, doesn't it? That doesn't really have any kind of... Uh, that's not a great injustice, is it, to take someone's privileges away? That's like, I'm not allowed sweets this week. But to take someone's rights away, that's important, isn't it? So why are we redefining the things that we used to regard as rights, as privileges, now, I get that some people have these rights and others don't, and that bothers me. But I don't want to refer to these things as privileges. I want to refer to these things as rights. And how does it, how does it strengthen us to think of these things as privileges? When the Chartists fought to be able to vote... When the uh, suffragettes fought to be able to vote, they were not after the privilege to vote. 
They were after the right to vote. They saw that people who were wealthy had the right to vote. They saw that men had the right to vote. And they wanted the right to vote as well. So when we see these things as privileges, I think it trivialises the things that we used to talk about, rights. These things that you have that haven't been earned, we used to regard those as rights. And now we talk about them as privileges. Well, it's no great inconvenience to have one's privileges withdrawn. But to have one's rights withdrawn is something important. And I would like to hold on to the language that talks about these things as rights. And notices when some people don't have those rights and sides with them in order to get the same rights that we have. I think that's a more powerful thing than this kind of language of privilege, which regards our rights as something that can be easily traded, traded away and also provides some sort of, offers some sort of shame-based guilt for those who have rights, for instance. I'm not sure it's helpful. I would rather stay with the language of rights. <sighs> this is quite a difficult thing because I'm sure I'm going to say something which is going to attract some sort of heretic hunter who wants to kind of show me up to be some sort of bad progressive. And so it's quite difficult to say this stuff, but I want to say it anyway. And I'm quite troubled by the idea that privilege can't be defined. That everyone is privileged. I mean, the way I see privilege more is like a comparison. And everyone is kind of privileged. And um, depending on how you look at the world. I just gave an example there where we're all the world's royalty. Because we have a bed and a wardrobe and you know, a roof over our head and things like that. We're in the top 25%, no matter, even if we don't own anything else. I think instead of having privilege as our focus, and just to clarify what I've just said, by the way, I, I, me saying that everyone is privileged in some way does not preclude an analysis of society which shows where discrimination lies which shows where injustice lies. I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying that the word privilege seems less useful than the other concepts that we've traditionally had. And there's something else I would like to, to, to have our focus on. Instead of it being privilege-focused, which is what we're always encouraged to be, you know, you need to be aware of your privilege. You need to look at where your privilege is in this society. I'd rather us be pain focused. I think being having our focus on each other's pain is far more useful than being told to look at privilege all the time. And that's really what I want to say in terms of this podcast. I think we need to get not sensitive about privilege, which I view as rights anyway. But to get sensitive instead about pain. And you know, pain exists everywhere. 
And I think this is one of the problems that I have in terms of this concept of privilege. That you're not allowed your pain if you're in a certain place of, of privilege. You know, I spoke, didn't I, a few episodes ago about male suicide. And one of the things I noticed there is that it's quite difficult. Whenever a, whenever a man talks about their pain in this society, they're often boo-hooed away. They're often dismissed because, after all, men are privileged in this society. Men have advantages in this society. And so they're often boo-hooed away. And so, I mean, that's just one of, of many examples. But pain does exist everywhere. How many kind of wealthy people commit suicide, for instance? How many rock stars or football players commit suicide? It happens, doesn't it? And what do people say in those moments when they hear that somebody who has, you know, got all the trappings of privilege are depressed? You'll hear people say, well, what have they got to be depressed about? They're privileged. They've got this, they've got that. And so this is where this concept of privilege actually gets in the way of looking at people's pain. And it's really important that we focus on people's pain because when people's pain is dismissed, all sorts of terrible things happen. When people's pain is not looked at, is not acknowledged, wherever it comes from, then we get all sorts of um, all sorts of shit hits the fan, basically, eventually. Because people will always try and meet their needs in some way. And the more pain is dismissed, the more costly those strategies are going to become. And I'll talk about that a little bit further on when I start looking at pain. Brené said in her thing, by the way, she said um, in her presentation... She said, when she's teaching at the university, um, the thing that pisses people off the most in her class is when she tells them that they're privileged. And this, this struck me as a strange thing to say because what she's actually saying there when she says pisses people off, what she really means is what results in pain for people is when she tells them that they're privileged and, you know, the, the comedian Bill Bear talks about this and riffs off this, but there are white people in America, for instance, who haven't got a pot to piss in, whose water has been poisoned by frackers, and they're losing big time in the economy, living in trailer parks, living in shit dumps. And then you tell people like that that they're privileged. It doesn't make a lot of sense to people. So when Brené says that the thing that pisses people off the most in her class is when she tells them that they're privileged, pissing people off is resulting in pain. And my thought was, well, Brené, if you know that there is something that you say that results in the most amount of pain, why say that? Why say that? It clearly doesn't connect people with the thing that you would like them to be connected to. So as a strategy, how is it a good strategy when it disconnects people from the kind of understanding that, that, you're, that you're hoping that they'll come to? Because I'm guessing that what, what Brené is really wanting people to do 
is to empathise with each other's situation. And yet she has this strategy that she's well aware of is a strategy that actually causes disconnection and she keeps on using it. And my big question is, why do that? She then explained that the reason that they get pissed off is because they simply don't understand privilege. Well, that adds insult to injury, doesn't it? First of all, you piss somebody off and then you tell them that the only reason that they're in pain is because they lack the sophisticated understanding that you do. Well, I can guarantee that they're even more in pain after you tell them that. And this is my big problem with it, you see, because the thesis seems to be that if you connect someone to how privileged they are, it will lead to empathy. And I just don't buy it. Her explanation of what happens with her students, who are actually fairly well off if they're at university, as diverse as she describes her class, they're fairly well off if they're at university. They're, they are all privileged irrespective of their background if they're at university compared to those who don't get to go to university. And this privilege thing is such a multifaceted thing after all. If you're going to say that to people who have the privilege of going to university and it pisses them off, what's it going to be like if you call people privileged who are struggling far harder in the economy? How, how much pain is that going to result in typically if you call someone privileged, if they're the kind of people that Bill Bear was talking about? So this thesis is that privilege leads to empathy and it doesn't. It doesn't. It actually blocks empathy. I don't really see why we need to, to go in one direction to get to another. <clears throat> and the reason why I don't think it leads to empathy is because I think it blocks empathy wherever there's pain. So if I'm in pain and you tell me that first I need to acknowledge my privilege in order to be permitted that pain, then what you're basically doing is leaving my pain unaddressed. You're basically saying, fuck you to my pain. That's not empathy. That's the opposite of empathy. That is getting me to jump through a hoop before my pain is important to you. If you make me jump through a hoop before my pain is important to me to you, then you're saying fuck you to my pain. And my most likely response <clears throat> is to say fuck you to you. And there we've got disconnection. And disconnection is not what empathy brings. Empathy brings connection. And so I see this as a barrier. And in the same way, if someone else comes to you with their pain, don't make it about you. If you're the one who's privileged, and Brené's thesis is that the way to get empathy is first to connect to your own privilege, I don't agree. If there is a person in pain in front of me, and I can see maybe, you know, if we were to, to look at that separately, and it'd be like, well... Alan does have privileges in this society because he's a, he's a white male or whatever. Maybe we could take that bird's eye view as an outside observer and we, we could agree with that. But let's bring it down to the, to the situation at hand. Somebody has just come to me with pain. What I need to give them is empathy. What I need to do is stay with them. Stay with them. 
not 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 go on some sort of you know white male guilt trip about how privileged I am as if that's going to lead me to you that's not going to lead me to you that's like telling me the way to get to London from Liverpool is to go via Aberdeen it takes me away from the other person so if somebody comes to you with pain and they're not in your social group in that you you believe has privilege don't talk about you and your privilege don't even think about you and your privilege connect instead with what is alive in the other person collect instead connect instead with what the other person's emotions are what the other person is needing in that moment and be with them you see this is the problem with the thesis if a privileged person has pain then they're not fully allowed the pain unless they go through this whole i accept i have privilege kind of thing so a person doesn't just get their their pain listened to as of right they have to jump through all these hoops first which simply causes more pain and the pain remains unaddressed and by the same token if someone who is not privileged brings pain the privileged person is expected to start having a guilt trip about it and jumping through hoops and accepting their own privilege when they could just go to empathy they could just go to connection so i don't buy this whole idea that accepting our own privilege is a way to lead us to the other person's pain we can just simply hear their experience trust their experience which is to be fair one of the things that Brené says that I agreed with in in the presentation that she gave but just connect with them i don't need to go on a i don't need to make it about me and this is often happens anyway just taking this outside of this sort of more social political economic sort of argument have you ever been to somebody take privilege out the equation now and you share vulnerably what your pain is and then they make it about them in some way oh yeah that happened to me much worse last or whatever it happens to be or they make it about them as the fixer or you know what you need to do is blah de blah whenever somebody makes it about them they're not with you so this is the this is the choice basically this is what empathy means i don't buy the idea that connecting to your own privilege in that moment leads you to the other person you're either with the other person or you're with yourself and so i just don't really see the purpose of this idea when we could instead be connecting to pain instead of privilege we could be super sensitive to pain wherever it comes from so the pain of of a black person who is being pulled over by the police all the time when they've done nothing wrong that's pain that i want to be sensitive to but i want to be sensitive to pain everywhere in that society everywhere in life really now i can hear people's voices i'm projecting i know i'm projecting i'm not suggesting that there is moral equivalence anywhere i'm not saying there you know that if there's a particular let's say there's a campaign for instance black lives matter is the one that's coming to mind there's a campaign there i don't want to be one of those people who are going well white lives matter as well you know i don't want to be one of those people who's saying that that's not what i'm saying i'm saying instead that where the the pain and being sensitive to pain and going to pain and empathizing with pain 
is far more powerful in terms of connection and in terms of being an ally and in terms of getting ourselves a society that it's not so broken than it is to go with this relatively recent concept of privilege. So that's kind of what my sort of thesis is. I don't know if it makes sense. I don't know whether it's going to get me kind of attacked. But you know what? I guess you get attacked for whatever you say, don't you? I just think that there's little more... There's there's few things in, in life that's more painful than having your pain dismissed. Because when your pain doesn't matter, what you hear is that you don't matter. And the more that people are in pain, the more extreme... People will start acting out in terms of their strategy to try and get their needs met. And their pain is caused by some sort of unmet need. When someone is in pain, when someone is in, is, is in distress, what's behind that is that they've got a need that is not being met. I don't care who you are. As a human being, that is basically what's going on for you. There will be some sort of need not being met in that moment that causes the pain and causes the distress. And you know what? Those needs are universal. We all have those needs. So whether it's it's some sort of uh, a young Muslim man, for instance, who explodes a bomb, or whether it's some fascist, the reason why they're acting out in this way, and by the way, don't attack me on this because I'm on a fascist hit list. You know, on the internet you will find that there is a fascist list hit list with my name on it, with my photograph, my address on it. So I'm not someone who is talking here from any kind of safe place. But where there is pain, the strategies become more and more extreme. That doesn't justify those strategies at all. But it does highlight that there's pain. It does highlight that that there is a need there to be met somehow. So imagine if we became sensitive to pain. You know, why do we wait? This is why I want a pain sensitive rather than a privilege sensitive or anything else. I want our focus to be pain. I want our sensitivity to be that. The moment the pain is there that we look to address it. Because imagine if we became that sensitive to people's pain in our world. Why do we wait for suicide bombers or Charlottesville or Brexit or Trump or Hitler? We need to focus on on pain and sniff it out and empathise with the pain and address it. And when I say empathise, I'm not talking about liking the other person's strategy. I'm talking about understanding that when someone straps a bomb to them and walks into an arena full of children and blows themselves up, that comes from a place of distress. When someone picks up a, a, a torch and marches in some sort of... And, and wears a Nazi swastika, for goodness sake, that's coming from a place of pain. That's not coming from a place of of any kind of health. And wherever there is pain, there are unmet needs. Now, why do we have to let it get in our society this far down the road? When we could actually have 
a response to pain, which is far more immediate whenever it, where, where if we're pain sensitive, we can respond to this, these pains much earlier and stop it getting to this level. You see, it's not the radicalizers that I view as dangerous. It's not the radicalizers. It's not the hate preachers that I really regard as dangerous. It's the unaddressed pain that makes them dangerous. It's the unaddressed pain that is being shared by lots and lots of people. Which makes those hate preachers attractive. That's what's dangerous. You can eliminate any hate preacher you like. You can deport this guy. You can imprison that guy. Whatever. But there'll always be somebody else there to stand in their place. Whenever we live in a society where pain is ignored in such a way that these people become attractive. These, these become a potential strategy for people in pain to get their needs met. So let's think about some of those needs. How we address it, you know. You know, racism, for instance, is a strategy. Blowing yourself up and taking a whole load of innocent people with you is a strategy. Violence is a strategy. But what are the needs? You see, I'm not liking any of those strategies. They're really costly. They're really costly to people who get hurt, to other people who get injured, who are killed, who lose their lives. And they're really costly as well for the people involved who get imprisoned or, or hated or ostracised or blown up. You know, whatever it happens to be, these are costly strategies. So getting to the needs behind it doesn't mean that you like the strategy. It means that you look at the pain and find out what the actual need is. You know, when people complain about Brexiteers being stupid, I don't see Brexiteers being stupid, even though I didn't vote that way. What I see are people in a really desperate situation who've been ignored by the political establishment. And they've been ignored by the political establishment for that long. That when some idea comes up, which is going to involve fundamental change, they say, fuck it. Let's give it a whirl. Let's give that a whirl because this isn't working. And what my choice is in this moment is more of the same shit being fed to me. More of the same suffering, more of the same pain. Or something else. Which might be worse, but might be better. And you know what? I'm prepared to spin the roulette wheel on that one. That's not a stupid thing to do. When your pain is being ignored. That's not a stupid thing to do at all. That has a, that has a, a huge logic. If you've been in pain for a long time and nobody cares. And then you have an option to shake up the whole damn thing. And this is why Trump has been so popular as well, by the way, in my view. It's why Corbyn too has been popular. And so you can see how you can meet those needs with different strategies. You see, when people, when people come up with these kind of things as a strategy, like racism or violence or whatever, what their needs really are is for things like hope, for decent housing, for opportunities, for the ability to make something of your life. For the ability to provide for your children. For the ability for your children to have a future that looks promising to you. 
that, that you feel proud of. These are the needs that people have. The strategies that meet those needs can be very, very different. Some are very, very costly and others are not. But at the core, those needs, those needs are, are the kind of needs we all have. They're universal. So imagine if we lived in a world that was sensitive to those needs and addressed those needs and that pain the moment it occurred. Imagine if we were pain sensitive to each other, for each other. And that you didn't have you didn't have huge industrial wastelands where people were forgotten. You didn't have any of this kind of stuff where people were just ignored, where they didn't matter, where they needed things, but who gives a shit? We didn't have it. And so these strategies don't get so extreme. I really believe in the power of empathy. I really believe in the power of being sensitive to pain. I really believe in that level of connection and care for each other. And it's more important to me than labels like privilege, which for me get in the way of those connections, which actually, you know, if you go and talk to someone who has been ignored in the economy and happens to be a white male and is on the bones of his arse and you tell him he's privileged, you're not going to get connection. You're going to get him to just fucking hate you even more. So I'm a big believer in empathy and connection and pain. And when you're a big believer in that, it means that you have to go behind that pain and address the needs. You have to convince people that there is another strategy apart from the one that is already there. I don't know whether this is making sense to people at all. I don't know whether people are furious right now or or whatever. Or are making up some sort of, you know, what's happened to Al? He's, he's now a heretic. Let's hate him. I don't know. But I wanted to say this. I wanted to say this because I think it's so important. Do you know when somebody is, like those mining communities, for instance, the way they were treated 30 years ago. Imagine if we were pain sensitive. You know, we even got a Labour government and that Labour government was in for a long, long time. Imagine if we were pain sensitive and we met those people's needs when the pain ar ar arisen. Imagine if the same had happened in America. Imagine if we saw the pain of people in the Middle East as we sent bombers out to them and invaded their country. Imagine if we were sensitive to pain. And imagine if we met those needs really quickly. And so I think that's the narrative that I think is more useful. I don't see the use in privilege. I don't see the use. It can't even be defined even by someone as smart as Brené Brown. So I don't see where it comes in handy. I can see sometimes that it would meet... If you're a progressive, it might meet your need for community and belonging and acceptance. Because if you come out and say, I, I acknowledge my privilege, I accept my privilege. And by the way, I do. I know that I'm privileged just to be lucky enough to be born in a, in a country um, where even though I'm relatively poor, you know, I'm, I'd say I'm probably in the bottom 25% of earners in this country at the moment and uh, 
I can be the bottom 25% of earners in this country and still probably be in the top 25% of people in the world. So I recognise my privilege. I recognise that after a terrorist attack, when I go to the shops and then I'll see a young woman with her family and she's wearing a hijab, you know, I, I understand the, how different it is for her than it is for me. I think, Jesus, this must be scary for, for her now because the world, the world is going to, it only takes a couple of people to direct hatred at someone who just doesn't deserve it. You know, I understand all that. I acknowledge my privilege. But the only use I can see for that is to get me the kind of acceptance and, and connection and community with fellow progressives. But when it comes to addressing pain, it doesn't really do anything. It either stops me being with you or it forces me to jump through a hoop before I deserve empathy. And my stance is that we all deserve empathy. There's been a lot of talk about empathy in the aftermath of uh, all that's gone on. And empathy really plays a role because you can see that you can see that people just can't empathize. People have these enemy images of each other. You listen to some of the people. I mean, there was a documentary by, by Vice. And it was so troubling because you could hear what people had to say, you know, about people who were black, about, about women. You know, there was all sorts of language that was so difficult to hear. Um, enemy images that were so difficult to hear being expressed. And so it, a lot of people on the left have been talking about empathy. And the thing that strikes me is that the empathy is very limited. We never, and I'm not just talking about fascists here, I'm talking about if you're Labour and they're Conservative or, or if you're, you're a Corbynite and they're a Blairite or whatever. Empathy never extends, does it, to someone who has a different belief system to you. We want to be empathetic to everybody, except them bastards. We don't want to be empathetic to them. And I suppose what I'm arguing is for empathy just to be extended because whenever you see this kind of thing, these strategies that are so costly, there is pain beneath it. And beneath that pain, there are needs that we have to address in order to convince people to move away from that strategy. I did have something else I wanted to say here, but I can't remember what it is. But it's, it's around the idea of, yeah, this is what it was. It's like, as progressives... You know, when someone does a suicide bomb, there's something in our heart, isn't it, which which goes to a place of understanding. Uh, and when I say a place of understanding, it's not kind of like, yeah, I get, I get why. You, it's not, it's not an acceptance. It's not, it's not that I'm okay with the fact that they've done that. But I think as progressives, we do. You know, when people are in prison, for instance, and they've done something wrong, as progressives, we often think about you know, I wonder what it was that led them, led them to that life. Because that's not a good choice, is it? And we'll chatter about it to each other. You know, that's not a good choice, is it? There's, I wonder what else was going on. We have this kind of thing in us, in us and it's a good thing. It's, it's something that I like anyway, that we have this. But we don't extend that to political opponents. And maybe maybe we should, because maybe that would foster some sort of 
connection there as well. You know, I read about I'm, I've, there's a film coming out and it's about this um, black musician and um, I read about him a few years ago and I thought he was very inspiring. He collects uh, the robes of KKK members. And what he does is he doesn't try to convince anyone of anything, but when he he, he actually befriends people in the in the Ku Klux Klan, and he's a he's a he's a black musician, and I'm not saying that that's the safest thing in the in the world either because I don't know how he protects himself. And by the way, I do think protection is a big issue in all this as well. Um, maybe I can talk about that if this gets any kind of uh, questions or whatever. But this guy goes round and he befriends people in the KKK. And just the act of friendship undermines their belief system. Connection undermines their belief system. And so what they end up doing is handing him their robes. And he's got a nice collection now. A nice collection of KKK robes and paraphernalia that have been given up by people who rejected that strategy because it didn't stand up to the test of having this guy as a friend. So, I've talked for about 49 minutes, 50 minutes. I don't know whether I've said anything that makes sense. My key point really is that I think privilege isn't useful. We can't even define it. It might be useful for a sociologist, but I think when people look at privilege, they're looking at they're looking at comparisons, really. I suppose. But I suppose my main thesis here is instead of being sensitive to privilege and everyone being, "Hey, hey own your privilege, man! Own your privilege." I think it'd be better to be in touch with people's pain, to be sensitive to people's pain and I think if we were sensitive to each other's pain whoever we are when it arises I don't think we'd get such costly painful strategies to try and meet needs that stay unaddressed for too long and that end up resulting in strategies that are costly for everybody involved so that's really where I'm at. What I'd rather us talk about instead of privilege is I'd rather go back to that powerful thing we used to talk about. Rights. And it might be that some people have rights and some people don't share those rights even within the same society, even within the same planet. But I'd still like to think of them as rights. And it may well be that the people who have the rights are of course privileged compared to the people who don't but I would rather talk in terms of rights and discrimination and injustice I'm not trying to sweep this under the carpet I'm not trying to pretend that these things don't exist what I'm arguing instead is that the narrative that we have increasingly amongst progressives that it's about privilege might not be as helpful as we thought it was. That instead, we should upgrade those privileges again to the kind of rights that I learned about when I was growing up. And to identify injustice. 
but that what we should really be doing is connecting with each other's pain to ensure that as progressives and as human beings, we create a world which is pain-sensitive. And so when people are in pain, we're there for them. And we help people to connect to the needs that they really have beneath that pain. And we care about those needs ourselves. I think that would be a more useful narrative. Not where is the privilege, but where is the pain? And following that pain will lead us to where the injustice is. And as progressives, we can still use our energies to overcome injustices wherever they appear. And a pain-sensitive world is one which will overcome them injustices quickly wherever they appear. So, that's me. I think I'm done. Don't know what you'll think of this. I've been riffing aloud now for over 50 minutes. I hope it's made sense. I hope it's at least made people think. I hope. Also, I have a hope that people will realise that I'm coming at this from a place of good intention. And I hope I'm actually, you know, I have a little bit of fear, that, a little bit of anxiety that people will maybe not be very nice to me in the aftermath of me saying this. Um, but I would be very interested to hear your thoughts on it, to hear your, well, even more important than your thoughts, because I think sometimes we can get too focused on what people think. And we enjoy people better when we look behind that. I'd be interested to hear what your emotions are on hearing this. And what are the things that, if you don't like this piece, I'd be interested to ask yourself to identify what you're feeling emotionally. And see if you can identify what needs are not being met as you hear this. And then let me know what they are. And we can we can have a conversation around those. So yeah, that's that's my podcast today. A little bit different to the normal ones, a little bit heavier. I do apologise if that's not what you wanted, but it is something I wanted to let out. So thank you for listening. If you've stuck with me this far, I don't know if any of it made sense. I hope it did. Um, a couple of things for the coming week. I'm going to be on Billy Butler on Wednesday uh, from t- sometime between two till four, but I'll be. Um, I'll be um, I'll be backing somebody else. I won't be on in my own right. I'll be um, in the in the background. I'll be playing guitar for Katie Ellen, uh, who's a, a local musician. Um, check out her music; she's excellent. And listen in uh, to the Billy Butler Show on Radio Merseyside between two and four, and you can hear me strumming away there in the background. Apart from that, thank you very much for listening. I hope to hear from you. Whatever this is brought up for you, um, this is kind of. This is kind of me in a learning process. That's what come up for me uh, in this next week. So I wish you well. And I don't know what the song of the week is this week. I hope it's appropriate. But whatever the random number generator throws up, you're going to get to hear it now. So thanks very much. I'll see you next Sunday. Tatty bye. I'm not a wait until they wait
Yeah. 